Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. For a good long while after the full-time whistle in Cape Town on Saturday, Graham Rountree sat in the coach's box with his head in his hands trying to process his emotions after leading Munster to their first trophy in 12 years, even as all of his backroom team jumped around the place like madmen. Down on the pitch, Stormers captain Stephen Kitsoff had his head in his hands trying to figure out how his team had lost a game they deserved to lose, but very nearly won. And a few metres away, Munster captain Peter O'Madney had his head in his hands as he stood beside the potty-mouthed match winner, John Hodnett, during the post-match interviews. That's right, John Hodnett besmirched the good name of the DHL derby by dropping an F-bomb. <laughs> Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Hey, it it hey, left, a, left a sour taste in the mouth, though, didn't it? <laughs> hey, Ken, not sure everyone heard you there. Hey, Owen, how are you? No, I'm pretty good, Ken, I'm pretty good. This was the moment that had Peter Armani covering his face in shame. Player of the match, the final. Very well done, very well played. A great win for you guys, no doubt. Yeah, look, fuck it. Some win in fairness, like, you know, it's, we've had a tough there the last few weeks. We've been on the road. It's just, honestly, I, I feel like I have a sixth sense for this because I've watched so many oh, minor and under 20 games on yeah, TG yeah. Carr. Uh, where like it's literally fifty percent of you know nineteen year old mm-hmm. just finishes unbelievable win, Michal O'Donnell. So how are you feeling? Fucking great! <laughs> like you know you can just see it in their eyes. They're just definitely going to. Hodnett was one of those. Well, no, Peter no, Manny could Peter Manny didn't call it. No, Peter no, Peter Manny was shocked. I had no idea. I had no, I mean you know I I just thought that you know am, among the professional ranks, you know this sort of thing just doesn't happen. You know that when you're dealing with. Uh, professional athletes in a high performance environment on yeah. and we all have a lot to learn from high performance environments uh, such as Munster Rugby's I just didn't think it was going to happen but there it was and if it's going to happen it's always going to happen after the first question right out of the gate the Omani reaction was what made it though which you obviously can't see in this particular medium but the ha- his hands go up to his face oh no then he realises his own reaction is on camera so he does that thing where you pretend you're just, like I'm rubbing just rubbing my temple, face yeah. here yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hoping there's no more no more cursing and also who cares who I mean, cares he deserved to say whatever he wanted after scoring yeah. the try that landed the URC title for Munster five minutes remaining back with Archie Snyman moves it into Tyburn Munster come forward Casey moves it away a chance here now the ball has moved the cross far side of the pitch moved in John Hutton Hutton for the corner
Michael Corcoran doing a cracking job as always on RT Radio and what an amazing try it was the mm. call side plus the touchline conversion to follow which yeah. made a huge difference because that pushes yeah. it out from a drop goal or a penalty to a try and yeah. basically wins it for Munster yeah and it was it was funny because they started the game so badly I mean right from the start Stephen Archer a silly penalty then Frisch throws the intercept pass to Libbuck and you're kind of thinking away from home that might knock the stuffing out of a team and it kind of, I felt like, oh no, Libok's actually going to play well now because he's a confidence player. He's just scored a try in front of his fans and they looked relaxed. But they responded really well to that, as they did to setbacks all day. You think even of, say, the Peter Armani pass that was deemed forward to Haley for the try. And then a couple of minutes later, they're scoring a try with Calvin Nash. And that was kind of the theme of the thing mentally from Munster. But I was kind of thinking about, and we've touched on this in the last few weeks and it, this has happened very suddenly, obviously. But we've got new coaches, new culture, kind of a very new game plan. So what Roundtree, Prendergast, Leamy and the rest of them have done in a short period of time is fairly remarkable. And you'd have to say this season, the message kind of hammered home about the importance of coaching in rugby. And kind of the further we get into pro rugby, the more I feel like coaching matters and the more of a team game it is. Like you pick your style you pick your coaches, then you pick your style and then you work around that with the players and the players believe in it. But if you take that final Hodna try, right, 14 players touch the ball. So basically your home, whole team touch the ball. That's 14 players buying into the game plan, understanding their role in it, understanding how their role impacts everybody else. Then... Uh, executing that skill under pressure Tr- the right trying time. things Even as well there were little loop plays forwards mm. getting involved in loop plays all a the time kind of offload a, a, like a, a modern rugby team needs yeah it wasn't just like I'll shovel it onto you I'll shovel it onto you we'll try mm. to make a yard and see what happens they knew they had to make something happen yeah and I love that daily at the very end is immediately passing back inside how often do you see a winger towards the end when you need the score kind of going for something that isn't on and gets mm. knocked into touch he was immediately thinking, get it back inside, because that's both a percentages play in that it keeps the ball in play, but it's also like adding a different new angle for the Stormers' defence to deal with. And Hodnett was so good all day. Like, he's phenomenally good. Yeah. He doesn't look like a kind of modern, brilliant rugby player. doesn't have like the square jaw, yeah. doesn't have massive biceps, but is just hard as nails and really consistent. He's been one of their best players all season. But just the, the thought that all those 14 players got that right in the build-up. And there's something about winning something and then the way you win it you know to create something at the end same as they did against Leinster it's, and it's not just a small thing they create it's like several phases of brilliant skillful rugby and then amazing execution at the end with the try with the drop goal for Crowley and then the conversion from Crowley mm. Bear in mind they had had a number of tries disallowed in, in one case probably controversially as well so that's mm. they did have to keep going they did have adversity in the game they mm. have had a lot of it over the last few weeks as well and they were making Renter's making a big play about the fact that because they've had to travel, because they haven't really been able to refresh the squad, yeah. they've sort of been forced into a corner where they've just had to yeah. had to back themselves in what they're doing. And maybe it's focused everybody's mind because the players keep talking about this plan that's been there from the start of the season, but it's taken longer for them to take it all on board. Mm. And just this intense period where they've ended up winning the right to play all these games away from home, tough crowds, all that yeah. kind of stuff, seems to have benefited them massively. Yeah, I mean, like a few weeks ago, they lose heavily at home to Glasgow. We're thinking back to the start of the season when they lost five from seven, I think it was, including to, who was it? The Dragons and Connacht and Cardiff and all sorts. And then... Did Peter Manny have his wedding at the wrong time? Yeah, that one of the yeah, weird yeah, yeah, storylines early yeah. on in the season? So they're, in our minds, in my mind, they're probably out of the Champions Cup. They're out of the running, really, for the URC. Uh, Keith Earls is retired. Uh, Orgy Snyman will 
maybe never have an impactful few minutes for Munster. And then cut to a few weeks later, they're roaring their heads off in Cape Town. Keith Earls finally gets the trophy to add to his once from the very start of his career. Orgy Snyman, he got his first injury in 2020, September, August 2020. So we're coming up on three years, gets an ACL, re-ruptures the ACL, has several setbacks, then finally gets back this season, gets two concussions in a row, uh, gets rotate, uh, gets uh, benched again, and then finally, so a man, he goes off and he comes on and then just weirdly, like he finally is fit and in form for the most important 40, 50 minutes of the season <laughs> yeah. and plays really well. It's good. Uh, it that all was came some good together. Timing. That yes, was some good timing. Came together. Together. Rory yeah. O'Connor was in Cape Town. We're going to talk to him and an extremely happy Barry Murphy, ex-Munster player on the podcast today. Limerick and Cork men and women brought together by Munster's victory, Murph, on Saturday, only to be driven apart a day later as the two counties. We, we're going to talk to Barry about the hurling. In the Munster Hurling Championship. He was there. What was he? Yeah, he was there. I mean, I he was he was there in a professional capacity. Oh yeah, they, uh, they were well, playing music go. beforehand. Um, so I mean, and he he did appear to be quite impressed by what he saw. Let's double which, job. Let's double job for Barry. I mean, uh, this is what we need. We need to consolidate. We should just talk to like three guests, but have them cover like a multitude <laughs> of sports every week. Uh, and if Barry Murphy is one of those, I'm I'm down with that. I can dig that on. Um, Nicky English described the game that Barry Murphy will be talking to us about <laughs> in detail <laughs> in just a few minutes as as good a hurling game as I've ever seen what Nicky English has seen a fair few hurling games not a man years. given necessarily to no. overstating the odds either no it was it was unbelievable and it was only the second half of a ridiculous day of of hurling on I mean I was all set to go to Goldway Dublin and then kind of late on last week I was like I'm going to miss Cork Limerick. It's going to be amazing. Maybe I should just stay home. This was a decision that paid off, I have to say, handsomely in my favour, Ron. Uh, because, I mean, it was literally only at like a minute to four when the Cork Limerick game was about to throw in that I was like, God, I'm wrecked already. I've already seen a lot. It seems like I've felt a lot of things in today's <laughs> hurling. And the the main event is literally just about to start. And I need to get my head around the fact that Limerick could be out of the championship in like 95 minutes time or whatever. And, um, and because... They were. Yeah, because like Wexford... Watching Jackie Tyrrell watch Wexford Kilkenny was in itself quite entertaining, <laughs> uh, given that none of the rest of us could watch it. Uh, given so that's how it was on... on RT was yeah, it? Yeah, RT kind of screwed it. Yeah, I mean, they I showed mean. Galway Dublin. And I mean, two weeks ago, that was absolutely the right decision to make. But the second Westmead beat Wexford last week. I mean, it's let's go. It's time to show uh, Wexford Kilkenny. A, because it's always a really good game. And B, because Wexford could be in the Joe McDonough Cup if results go as expected. Uh, as it turns out, that well, that game wasn't even on GAA go. So... Uh, oh, there's options besides RT, is <laughs> there is a much maligned streaming service, yes, uh, that was not utilised uh, to show Wexford Kilkenny yesterday for whatever reason, which was very that's frustrating. a pity. Five, Wexford managed to concede five goals and still avoid relegation. Yeah, win the game four twenty three to five eighteen. But yeah, ah, listen, the highlights will do. It's fine. No one really cares. So yeah, I mean, it was Galway Dublin was like a bit of a well, it was goal were terrible for long patches but the Wexford game was just bubbling along in the background uh, and the goals flying in goals flying in in Mullingar and then the Munster Championship starts and then Waterford are hammering the shit out of Tipperary <laughs> like it was unbelievable I mean I did think at around half five while I was watching Cork and Limerick Cork thundering back into it uh, seven down at one stage got it back to to 
one down with a couple of minutes of uh, ordinary time to go. I'm also watching Dublin Roscommon on Diego, and the Rossies are about to beat no. Dublin in Crow Park. I'm like, okay, well, this is it. This is the greatest day in the history of the GA. This it do- literally doesn't get any better than this. Uh, I feel like maybe that was an overly emotional response. But nevertheless, it feels like we should talk some G on the World Service and I know that we're going to do that. Well, after the Barry Murphy hurling analysis today that you've talked us into, we will, of course, talk to Jamie and Maliki tomorrow. Jamie Wall and Maliki Clerken. Our World Service members will vouch for the consistent excellence of these two together, yes. by the way. They're amazing, amazing analysts. The rest of you will need to sign up on secondcaptains.com for a five or a month plus of fat to hear that one later in this podcast. We're going to tell you about a brilliant Kevin Moran documentary you should be watching on RTTV tonight. That's after the rugby. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Uh, Rob Herring with the line of throw for Ireland on the England 10 metre line, far side. The ball is swept back. Here comes Keith Earls, gathers it now, races inside the 22 metre line, goes from the corner. Earls, far side of the pitch, looks to touch it down, in for the try! Far side of the pitch, 22 minutes gone. Keith Earls with the try! Flown over the tail end of the line out, across on the far side. Liveliest man in the entire place was the Ireland foot on the wing. His name is Keith Earls. Rory O'Connor was in Cape Town to witness Munster landing the URC title for the Independent. Not a bad one to be at, Rory. No, one of the better ones, all right, Owen. Just back. Um, pretty special weekend, all told. Cape Town is one of the one of the great cities to visit on this beat. And, and uh, it was a bit of a surprise end of the season. I think most people have penciled in the Aviva for a Leinster home, <laughs> uh, home final. I don't need the Munster fans to be too insulted by that. And to be honest, it's just a, it's a great way to finish the season to see this Munster team, some of those players come from where they've come from with you know 2000 fans having booked that trip at short notice it was pretty it was pretty amazing stuff and uh yeah pretty a, a weekend that'll live long in the memory Barry Murphy wasn't in Cape Town but was at the Gaelic grounds right, to watch Limerick beat Cork not a bad sporting weekend for you Barry I know I was wondering if you wanted me to come on here and talk about the Limerick hurlers well Murph does um, Murph demands some hurling analysis <laughs> so how was that for you I wouldn't have a notion <laughs> um, to be honest with you it's uh, I've never played any GA grown up so yeah, it's so yeah. eye opening to me when I go to it but it was an unbelievable occasion and uh, and a pleasure to play at but uh, yeah the buzz in Limerick after 
Saturday night, um, that win, and then the win from the Herders yesterday, we haven't seen, you know, I think from a rugby perspective, obviously it's something we've been missing for so long, and there was a, a serious explosion of emotion and happiness around the city. I was at an event in the Castroy Park Hotel, a UL Bohemians 100-year centenary event, and it was like men, women, children crying. Really? Um, yeah, it was Amazing. incredible. So it meant a lot, and I think the manner in which they did as well, um, but I, I've literally just left. Craig Casey lives three doors up up for me, so I've just <laughs> left his back garden. Um, and <laughs> they're fresh off the plane. Um, fresh, sorry, isn't the word I'd use for them. Uh, they're pretty loose, I'll be honest. And uh, Gavin, Gavin Coombs asked me to, to mention Le Bloc, he's calling it now. Um, <laughs> when he blocked down Libox Le Le yeah. kick uh, five minutes to go. Um, so special mention to Gavin. He's, he's taking all the praise. I'm sorry, but, Barry, uh, Barry you, were, you were partying with the winning team and you've left that to come talk to us in the podcast. That's dedication. I know, I know. Well, I do have to go and mind my kids now as well. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I tore myself away from it because uh, they're having some crack. But I, I'm going to the homecoming tonight in Thomond Park. I think I'm doing a bit of emceeing. Oh, are you? Stage, so. Ah, very good. There'll very good. Plenty more crack to be had, lads. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, what uh, what's the overriding emotion, if there is any, among the current players, do you think? They're just so happy. I mean, this is all the young lads. So there was um, a shout out to the 12 disciples. I was calling them the 12 crack disciples. So uh, <laughs> let's see. It was the two, the two Witcherleys, um, Paddy Patterson, Ben Healy, Alex Kendell and Jack Crowley, Craig Casey, Jeremy Lockman, um, John Hodnett, uh, Gavin Coombs, Liam Coombs. So there was uh, a lot of the young fellas given out about the old fellas who were, like, I think Conor Murray's already gone to Portugal for his wedding and uh, Peter Armani's given out that he doesn't want to go. <laughs> to any of the, and Earl Z, I think, does, I think he's weirded out by a lot of these young fellas. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so, but no, they're just buzzing, lads. They're, 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 they're absolutely thrilled. They're all wearing their retro monster jerseys that they all had when they were kids out in the garden. So that's uh, gas. Like, they're, they're buzzing. Rory, we were, I mentioned Graham Round reaction if we can start there maybe because it was a, it was interesting to watch it in the coach's box head in his hands for a long time as all the other even Dennis Leamy and the likes dancing around practically in jubilation he just sort of had the head in his hands trying to take it all in did he explain afterwards what that was all about yeah I, I think there's a personal element to it in terms of where he's come from and uh, you know when he came to Munster, he it was off the back of being a Georgia coach, you know, following on from having been let go by England after the 2015 World Cup. And he came to Munster as an assistant of Van Gran and was there for a couple of years where they knocked on the door but never really got close. And then when Van Gran left and, and you know, having initially signed a two-year extension, he put his name forward and was made to wait for that job for a long time. You know, they sounded out a couple of options across the world. You know, he it's fair enough to say that he wasn't their first choice. But he waited and he waited and he considered pulling out, but he waited and, and eventually the job came to him. And they had a disastrous start to the season and, and put themselves massively behind the eight ball and, and they got criticism. I don't think anyone ever called for his head or anything like that. I think everyone has understood that there was um, a process and that they were trying to change things, but it was kind of happening slower than everyone expected. But I'm sure it was a dark enough place to be. I mean, he's bought fully into the Munster the whole Munster thing, you know, I think he's embraced living in Munster and uh, has, loves life down there. He's really, um, 
he's really kind of stuck into it and, and I really embraced the community element of it. I think he really loves living down in Limerick and I think, um, or Claire, I think he lives in. And I think like that all weighed on him when things were going badly and, and the criticism was coming and the team weren't performing and all the changes they made weren't coming to fruition, obviously on the pitch, but were in training and they had to stay patient and stick with it. And I think that all came out. And he also spoke down about the people Munster have lost in, in the 12 years since they've lost, the, the, they last won a trophy. And, you know, Anthony Foley, Brian O'Brien, Tom Tierney only this year, Paul Derbyshire, Barry Purdy, I've pretty missed one or two there. Like it's been a very tragic period for Munster in, in many ways. And the stuff that's happened off the pitch with those people passing ways, you know, Packardy's another one that I that I left out there has arguably affected everyone more. Or probably has, yeah. It's obviously more important stuff than, than than what happens on a rugby pitch, but also the pain of maybe feeling obliged to try and deliver something to Peter O'Mahony, Keith Earls, Connor Murray and Stephen Archer before they retire, you know, because players have come and gone without winning anything for Munster and, and O'Mahony has spoken of his fear and I think all that fed into Roundtree's, you know, state of emotion at the at the end of the game and, and also just the way they've gone and done it. You know, from being in a hole six, seven weeks ago, you know, facing down, staring on the barrel of a season in the Challenge Cup to going away from home six weeks in a row, winning a quarterfinal in Glasgow, a semi-final in Leinster and a final in Cape Town. It's, it's the stuff of books, you know, like it's, you could, it's, it's a, or movies, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fairy tale for him really. And it's, it, and I think it, it, it all poured out in that motion, in that moment. Yeah, and the way they won this particular game, Barry, I mean, we talked to you a couple of weeks ago after the drop goal, the late drop goal to beat Leinster. In this case, they pulled out a late try and the touchline conversion. We were making the point earlier, just whatever about carving out an opportunity for a drop goal, you don't have to be overly ambitious in your play to do that, but to get over the line against uh, South African defence in that in that sort of a situation and to use the ingenuity they played. I think, did you say every player touched the ball? 14 or 15. 14 players touched the ball think, in those phases. That was, that must have had you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, I think we were, the boys were slagging Roman Salanoa there that he was the only one that didn't touch the ball. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, and actually Jack Crowley told me there that he, they thought there was advantage being played at the time. That's why they were flinging it around the place. Oh, right. It wasn't, um, which is hilarious, but I mean that's the way they've been playing, you know, all game and all season. Really, yeah. it was uh, it was uh, just get move the ball and move move those big teams around. I mean, they're a massive side, the Stormers, and and the boys did confirm that there, and the hits they were putting in were huge. So, um, I think LeBlanc started it off, and then it was just mm-hmm. yeah, try and move around, try and score, and uh, and to get every player. To, to get their hands in the ball and uh, and I think Earlsie touched it a few times and made it one big carry that kind of broke a few tackles and Niall Scannell had a few big ones and then yeah brilliant pass in the end I think it was Mike was it Mike Haley to to, to Daly and then um, Jadon Hadnett to score in the corner but yeah I mean their intent from the, the get-go was to play rugby wasn't it yesterday it was just you know the the pitch had obviously cut up a little bit, but I don't think it was bad as bad. Um, the lads were were saying that maybe for stepping it was a little bit um, tough underneath for, and it, particularly their their back three might have struggled. But um, I, no, I just think I was I was so blown away by their approach to it, and they're probably a little bit unlucky. I still, I, I Rory, I'm, I'm sure you might know a little bit more, but I wasn't sure about the Gavin Coombs uh, try whether that that was. Um, they could add an argument there that that try was disallowed. Uh, he seemed to think it was a try, um, but uh, they got a few, a little bit of a rub. Of the the rub, the run of the green went against them a few times, but 
um yeah the they certainly make it exciting don't they because i was losing my mind <laughs> at the end of that i really thought once there was once they'd kind of gone into that 70 71 minute the stormers are picking up a head of steam weren't mm, they similar yeah. to what leinster had done a few weeks ago but that just shows the belief that that side and that's what roundtree keeps using that that word isn't it belief and uh yeah it was it was absolutely thrilling finish to it yeah, Roy, just thinking about, you know, say the likes of La Rochelle who sign players from around the world and build it that way or Leinster essentially using their academy and building over years and knowing what's coming through. And then what Roundtree, Leamy, Prendergast and the rest of them have done in one season is with essentially the same set of players as uh, Van Rahn had. And when you look at, like, I think you touched on as well, the likes of Nash and Klein and those, they almost feel like new signings. They're playing so differently under this new coaching group. And even, they say, turning around like Fekatoa's season, mid-season, they didn't discard him. Uh, they worked on him and he was brilliant by the by the final. And I think it's, it's extra impressive when this happens in football sometimes too, when a player, a coach doesn't get to sign new players, just works with what he has and transforms them. Absolutely, and I think you could turn it on its head and, and, and really admire what Fekato has done as well because halfway through the season, when things hadn't gone well for him at the start, you know, he could have easily stacked it in when Munster said, look, we're not renew- we're not taking up the second year on your contract and he signed for Benetton and he could have easily gone, right, I'm just going to take the money and leave. He's been brilliant. You know, ever since the, the Toulouse away game when he got back into the Champions Cup team, he's been a, a real driving force for this Munster team. Him and Frisch were the two players they signed last summer. They've made a big impact. Like, they do have a very good squad. They don't have the depth that allows or do in terms of um, you know being able to rotate their entire team fully but what they've actually done here is their 23 has been really really strong they've had a bit of luck with regards to fitness but also Graham Rountree has been, has challenged them you know he dropped Conor Murray for a Champions Cup game he left Keith Earls on the bench for one as well he, there was some talk he was going to drop Omani at one stage as well he, he basically said to the internationals it doesn't matter what you do up, up there in Carton House when you come down here you've got to train as well as these guys because these guys are training really well and he's, he's delayed um, selection until much later in the week so the training is competitive and, and I think that's driven performance but also they don't have a skills coach they're bringing in Mossy Lawler this year but I think the work that, that Leamy and Prendergast and Andy Kiriakou have done underneath Roundtree three smart hires and um, they've 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 really driven the skills and John Klein I think is the is the epitome of that I mean John Klein's big weakness over the last couple of years the reason he's never been picked for Ireland again after being controversially included in the World Cup squad four years ago is his skills that he he would knock the ball on routinely he'd try passes and they wouldn't work that he just re- really wasn't able to play that kind of modern um, kind of tip on passes style that Ireland adopted, you know, a couple of years ago, and Munster have taken on this year. Well, this year he's become one of the best skilled players in the tournament, and like he's been probably Munster's player of the year this year, playing a game that no one believed he could play. I don't think anyone ever trusted him to do it before. I don't think anyone pushed him to do it before. I think they all said, "You just do you. You do you. You go hit rocks and 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 maul and, and scrummage, and that's that's your job." But now they've they've challenged him to do more, and he's become a much better player. And I don't know if he's going to get into the Ireland squad that's being named tomorrow for the World Cup, the 45-man training squad, but he's certainly in the mix because he brings an awful lot of the skill sets that Ireland need. And that's a that's a, a tribute to the coaching that's gone on in Munster this year through probably Prendergast largely, but also Leamy, uh, Kiriakou and, and Roundtree as well. So it, it's, you know, it's been a slow burn. It, it didn't all happen overnight. There was a couple of really rough days along the way at the start. But by sticking with it and the players sticking with the coaches as well, it's uh, you know you you can see the reaction to being dropped. Pe- people stay with them the whole way. That, that there was no no one went to the beach early this year. Even Ben Healy signed you know signed for Edinburgh, declared for Scotland. He was on the pitch driving things in that in that last couple of minutes as well. 
you know, that that's a testament, I think, to the management and people buying into the team culture. Yeah, just of all the things that improved, say, like mall defence, transformed, uh, rook efficiency, totally transformed. But of all the things they've done this season, Barry, I feel like the alignment and the bravery in attack is the one that's so uh, noticeably different. And when you see how Racing 92 played under Prendergast and the fact that Prendergast has now come in and changed that philosophy we were talking earlier about the fact that they're now the number one offloading team in the league uh, with the highest offloading efficiency as well. Like that is an absolute sea change in the space of one season. I just feel like Prendergast, those other things like, you know, stoic defence, you can maybe get through just culture. But that technical and then tactical bravery is really what's changed Munster's season. Yeah, absolutely. It is bravery, isn't it? It's it's um I suppose they've got such a lovely blend with, with Roundtree coming in and the experience he has, he seems to bring that calmness and the the freedom uh to play and he, he, he would have brought in Prendy and said, Prendy, what do you want to do? And Prendy, as he said, takes his experience in racing and applies that. But like Prendy is is Limerick rugby born and bred. Like he was a brilliant Gaelic footballer, brilliant rugby player, brilliant hurler, like one of the best, most skillful players I've ever played with and worked with. He literally used to teach me how to how to kick the variety of different kicks that he could. He could one of these fellas who could throw the ball behind his back halfway across the, the pitch. Um, so he's incredibly skillful, puts a lot of, of, of emphasis on that. And then you've Leams, who exact same goal kicker for, Rosk, for Rockwell, when he was senior cup as the number eight, um, incredible hands and then uh, incredible knowledge and skill at the breakdown uh, defensively. And obviously, if you want to create fastball and and play that kind of style, the breakdown has to be really sharp. So that combination, Aaron, Andy Kiriakou as well, great fella to have around. But he was brilliant involved when he was involved in Monster when I played. Just a great fella. He's gone away and, and got an awful lot of experience as well. Uh, coaching elsewhere so they have put together a really uh, competent coaching uh, ticket and then it's just the belief like players I used to watch Shane Daly I remember watching Shane Daly and Calvin Nash when they played Senior Cup I was coaching uh, Castroy College a few years ago those two boys are coming and I was like these guys are ripping it up like offloading mm. brilliant skills and then they went into a monster system where that was bait out of them it was like no we don't do that now and you heard Shane Daly come out at the start of this season and he was sick of just ch- chasing kicks for, for the last three or four years <laughs> so how do you how do you develop your skills when you're playing like that yeah. it's it's, and that's what we've been dealing with down in Munster. Like, this is a, you know, how strong rugby is in Limerick in particular. Like, and fans have been completely disillusioned to how that Munster team has been coached over the last five years. And, and now what you got to see over the last few months and finally come to fruition was uh, the ability to play, the the confidence to play. I mean, how many times? we probably I think we kicked the ball 35, 36 times yesterday, but it was how we kicked the ball. Beautiful cross field from Crowley, beautiful chip from Mike Haley, incredible box kicks from Connor Murray that I'd say we won 90% of. He was very good. Oh my God, he was very good. He's such a good player to have in a final, isn't he? So calm. Yeah, his defence, he had a couple of little sniping breaks as well. You could hear him barking at the the players to get on their feet a couple of times. I mean, such a leader and, and how much you know, fresh uh, life has been bred into to Conor Murray over the last few months, possibly when he got the the, the drop that time um, before Christmas, um, Paddy Patterson playing so well, but 
yeah, I mean, delighted for Connor um, and for for Peter, but also as the, the likes of um, Niall O'Donovan, like manager of Munster for the last ten years, he's a guy who hasn't won a trophy with Munster. Nilo won four four All Irelands with Shannon back in the nineties uh, as coach, went on to coach that early Munster team with Declan Kidney. Uh, didn't win a trophy then. Then went went on to Ireland with Eddie O'Sullivan and came back to Munster. And I mean, the the years that Nilo was put into that side, and and then also all the the backroom staff, Fiona Murphy, the media uh, manager, the 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 uh, physios that got Orgy Snyman back. I mean, what that means to them as well, like to to have gone through this drought, um, those tough times is huge. So big shout out to those guys as well. Sport is all about timing, Rory, in a lot of ways. Is Jack Crowley timing this kind of emergence perfectly with the World Cup in mind? I mean, we saw this in the context of Ross Burns' woes last weekend. He nails his touchline conversion. Maybe he wasn't perfect all game, but he stepped up again in a really big moment and did what he had to do. Is there a fairly clear scenario where you could see Jack Crowley as the man who will possibly have to steer us home in a, in a World Cup quarterfinal if Johnny Sexton's not on the pitch? He's got a lot of momentum, doesn't he? And I think, you know, if you think Andy Farrell values big moments and like that kick that Ross Byrne put over against Australia back in November, how much, you know, that propelled him onto the, the scene for the Six Nations. Well, yeah, Crowley's going to be arriving at the camp in a couple of weeks' time, just full of confidence, full of momentum. Like, they already like him. They already... I think there's, a, there's an intangible to Crowley in that he, you know, he has that Sexton-esque, and, and and Byrne has this to a degree as well, where he sees the bigger picture. He, he's he's it's not just a skill set; it's also a mindset. It's it's um it's an ability to see to to play the game kind of a couple of phases ahead, and and that's probably what's getting ahead of getting him ahead of of, of Joey Carby at the moment because Carby just never really seemed to be able to develop that side of things. He obviously was fleet of foot and well able to make a break, but. Whether he was able to, you know, that kind of thing we all say, talk about control a game. Crowley definitely has that. Um, to do it against Leinster two weeks ago, um, and again to back it up on on Saturday the way he did up against Libok, who's one of the highest rated tens in the game. You know, he didn't play particularly well Libok on the day, but that even again stands to Crowley that you know he was the one who handled the final better. You know, this is the biggest game of his career by a good distance, and 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 he ran the show. He was really really impressive. Took the right option most of the time. And he's yeah, like he's definitely going to be named in this squad. Mm. He comes in. I think the only thing that's holding him back is that is a lack of international experience. But you know, there's three warm up games. There's two games before the real, the big stuff starts. Um, there's a real chance for him to be wearing that number twenty two shirt. I guess the big question, and it's a bit of a hypothetical, is if Sexton goes down, who do you trust to start the big game for Ireland at the World Cup? But you know, I I the argument is getting harder to make mm. that it's not going to be Crowdy. He he looks the part and and. One of the, the the simplest endorsements he can ever get for Crowley is that O'Gara tried to sign him two years ago before he even really made a mark at senior level. Look, we all know how, how smart and how sharp O'Gara is and how he, how well he knows the number ten position. You know, it took Van Gran a while to kind of to cop that this guy was the real deal, but O'Gara saw it before him, and and I think he he was right. You know, his, his judgment will be proven in time. And yeah, yeah, I see like three caps. Is that enough to to be kind of running the show at World Cups? it looks like it's less and less of an issue because of this run through the knockout. It's really going to stand to him. Yeah, and I think the lineup behind Sexton has changed rapidly and will continue to, like if, what was Ross Byrne's sixth or seventh choice in the country and then goes back up to, well, second place, first place with Sexton injured. And I think it's going to change again. 
and Crowley, as you say, has all the momentum. I think Hodnett should probably get into an extended squad now. Um, and Daly and Nash, I know we touched on them and we were talking earlier just about the way Shane Daly, and the second he got the pass on the wing, that so many wingers tried to score that try, but was straight back into Hodnett, which I love to see because it shows just how in the moment he was and, and not scrambling and not trying too hard and not overplaying your hand. But what about Daly and Nash into an extended squad as well? I think they both have a really good chance. And you think about the players they're up against, you're talking about Stockdale and Larmer. Larmer wasn't getting picked for the the big Leinster games at the end of the season. And, and Stockdale, you know, his season ended a month ago and he you know, he didn't do an awful lot this year. So if Andy Farrell's backing on form, he's had those guys in squads all year. But there's a there's a group of players here at Munster who, who are just on a run, who are playing really well. And, and those wingers are playing Ireland-style rugby. They're playing like Mark Hansen and James Lowe. Obviously, they're different profiles of players, but they're coming off their wing. They're getting involved. They're winning contestables in the air. They're dominating, you know, you know impressive specimens. And, you know, the, the Springbok fullback, Damien Valemsa, is getting bullied off the ball by these two, you know, relatively young wingers. They're not that young because they kind of have been kicking around at Munster for a while and, and not getting their, their look in until this year. But they look like they have a really good chance. I think you're right about Hodden. I think Klein is another one who's got a, a real shot. It's just a really good time to, to make a run at the final and win a final in Cape Town against the Stormers when Ireland are playing South Africa in the pool as well. It was a really, really um, perfect time to do this for Munster. Um, and like you think of the Ulster lads, just it was a, ter- a terrible season to go out in the quarterfinals of the URC after a bit of a stinker of a campaign. Anyway, even Connacht got another run in it and, and got a chance to impress. But I think there is going to be a very healthy uh, Munster representation in that squad when it's down tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Leamy rated alongside his Champions Cup or Heineken Cup wins in 06 and 08, Barry. And I think the URC has become a much better competition. And you have to put these things in context. Winning all those games away from home, winning the final in South Africa against a really good side and coming where Munster have come from. It's not just, oh, they've won the URC. I think you have to think about how they've won it, the style of play, the coaches, the way the players have played, all that sort of thrown into the mix. Where do you put this win in context? Yeah, I agree entirely. That's what I said to the boys, my parting uh, words of wisdom <laughs> him as I was leaving there. Um, as I downed my uh, my last bottle, I said, uh, lads, this is this is up there, like if not a, if not um, surpasses what, what Munster have won before. Uh, because of the manner in which they've done it, and um, and they, you know, we love that. You know, I mean, that's in the DNA of Munster, isn't it? To be written off at the start of the season, mm. um, uh, to be questions asked over the the coaching ticket and what they were trying to do. Um, so to have done it the hard way, and and uh, I mean, that's unheard of. To, the fact that the South African teams who come into the URC is, is obviously changes the landscape entirely. Um, does make it a hell of a lot more difficult. Um, I mean, it was far from a perfect season and uh, they'll go back and like there's so many improvements that they can make as well. You know, what they've done now is they've gotten the monkey off the back and um, they'll, they'll get so much confidence from that. But now it's about kicking on. How can they improve the the style of play? Uh, you know, it, it, to be a little bit kind of maybe critical, like they they can come a bit predictable when they when they get into that um, attacking flow that they kind of seem to be going the same way a lot of the time. They're just so they work so hard and they're so into it and they buy into the buy in is so incredible from the players that they get. Um, they they constantly uh, get the ball back and they're they're so switched on that they make very few mistakes. Um, but there's plenty of opportunities to to evolve that game plan going down the blind side. Um, 
and uh, bringing the forwards into the game a little bit more. It's a bit obvious sometimes when they're going to be passing out the back and stuff. So I think that's that's what Leamy's DNA is as well, is to he won't be just like, yes, sit back now on our laurels and, and win. They're going to try and just improve, probably make another couple of signings, I would hope, over the summer um, with some of the cash they've gotten from from winning that tournament, maybe bulk up uh, the front row, um, but and maybe maybe another ten if you know Ben Healy's going. Uh, but yeah, look, it's it's they'll be definitely enjoying this week, but then it's got to be focused on how can we step it up and improve from here. Yeah, and we were talking a few weeks ago about Connacht and the geographical spread they have now, lads from Roscommon and all and Mayo and all sorts. And I was just looking at the team. I know this is kind of an old point about the West Cork influence, but it is kind of noticeable. Like Coombs from Skibbereen, Hodnett from Roscarbery, Crowley from Inishannon, uh, Josh Witcherly from Bantry. Um, plus you have like Ben Healy and Barron from Tip. Like there's, it's not this sort of uh, Cork City, uh, Limerick City sort of team. And I, I think that's a really significant thing, Barry. Um, Leinster don't do this half enough. They don't talk about, you know, where all the players are from and kind of sell the the tight furlong element to it. But for Munster, like, they're they're starting to get players from different places than they used to. Yeah, I think Leinster, they don't talk about it, you're right, but they have done an incredible job at, at, at throwing that net a bit wider, haven't they? Um, and getting those kind of players in. And uh, Munster have been, I think, pretty lucky what they've gotten with the West Cork Mafia um, with just a few individuals down there parents and coaches and clubs who have just um inspired those young fellas to come through and uh but i think monster have now started realizing uh that's where our strength lies you know the the ail was was kind of shunned a little bit since probably 2009 2010 um our school system isn't as strong as the leinster school system so we do rely a lot on our clubs to produce players. So um, I think Ian Costello, his position now in uh, in Munster and Gar Prendergast well, as well, they're starting to invest properly um, in that part of the game because that's what we want. We want our own young players coming through and I think winning will help that massively as well. You'll see there'll be 10,000 plus people in Thomond Park tonight to to celebrate with that team and hopefully a lot of kids um, can be inspired because that's where it came from for me. That's where it came from for all these lads who play for Munster now. It's uh, watching a Munster team playing well, winning, enjoying themselves, playing good rugby. Uh, so, yeah, look, the, that's good to see. And it's the only way we're going to, I think, catch up with Leinster over the next few years is to bring through that youth. Great reporting from Cape Town, Rory. Great reporting from Craig Casey's gaff there, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> and enjoy, enjoy Toman tonight. <laughs> Thanks, lads. Thanks, lads. What does it look like? A turd up, is it? Yobs. There's an incredible podcast on at the moment produced by the second captains. Biggest load of bollocks. The second captain's show in Ireland. We're now getting to that point now where we are inspiring. The second captain's podcast. Pretty much we've done for the last 20 years. Be role models to kids. Hey, Pat, do you want to split? I'm going to hazard a wild guess that some of you listening today might be in the market for a good sports documentary on the telly, perhaps? 
Well, allow me to point you in the direction of Kevin Moore and Codebreaker, airing on RT1 at 9.35 tonight. It tells the unique and frankly insane story of a man who was a central figure in not one, but two of the greatest sporting movements in Irish history. Hefo's dubs in the 1970s and Jackie's army of the late 80s and early 90s. And it took him a while to let go of the whole dubs thing, even after he joined Manchester United. Yeah, I am. I'm keeping it from my employers because, you know, ignorance is bliss. Kevin Moore. At the time, we've got no internet, you know, there's no way of keeping in touch with what's happening somewhere else. You can come over and do things that people don't know anything about. You think about it now in the age of instant information, it's a story that could never happen today. The final was too big a game to get away with. Famously, Kevin Heffernan and Tony Hanna will go over to talk to Dave Sexton about it and, you know, get formal permission. Are you aware of his importance to the Dublin team? Well, I am now. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't a few months ago. We were invited up to meet the manager, Dave Sexton. He asked a few questions like what was the nature of the game and would he be in any danger? And he said, no, 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 no danger. And how many people will be at this match? 80,000. <laughs> big attendance for a friendly. <laughs> we are honoured to be joined in studio by the director of this wonderful new movie, renowned filmmaker Kevin Brano Brannigan. Brano, thanks for joining us. Hey, on. Uh, does that plinky plonky Love noise under track. yeah it's yeah. uh were we not like slagging that off a few weeks ago and no i like <laughs> it <laughs> oh talking about just ken let's go and pull the wall over dave sexton yeah. 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 that would be perfect for what we talked about if ken could just <laughs> walk around to that theme music i like <laughs> it there i also love the footage of dave sexton the man united manager in a very large collar very yeah, 70s like totally collar. 70s style yeah he seems yeah, a bit bemused as well his face isn't it like, oh completely why yeah. are these irish what is going on here what is it about the story tell us what is this about the story of a charismatic Ireland winning Gaelic footballer who moved to Manchester United and eventually played in his country's first ever World Cup that appealed to you as a filmmaker <laughs> uh, he's kind of like uh, the devil in Symphony for the Devil isn't he like he's just or Forrest Gump maybe is a better analogy mm. I don't know do you want to be compared to the devil or Forrest Gump or either well Zelig is the is the often used uh, word where he just uh, anywhere something amazing ha- is happening in Irish sport for literally 15 years oh wait there's Kevin Moore yeah 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 it's like Heffo's army Jack Charlton um, and he's just in the middle of all of it like he's there in Stuttgart He's there in the game of the millennium in 77. Alex Ferguson's uh, Manchester United. Alex Ferguson's United. Brief, briefly enough. Yep. Sent yeah. off at an FA Cup final. For yep. like it, it is ridiculous. It's genuinely the most outrageous sporting life mm. that we've probably seen. What was it like sitting around with Tony Hanahoe and Moore and Jimmy Keaveney, these lads in the boozer reminiscing? In Cavanaugh's in Marino. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah, on a, a sunny day last summer. Um yeah, it's great. Again, don't think they respected me as a football man, but uh, <laughs> they... Well, you got disrespected by both the GA crowd and the football crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They respect each other, which came across very well, which is yeah, the main thing. Yeah, yeah. no, you can see it's like a cliche. It's like um, when, when they when they seem to meet up or walk into the room together or whatever, like they just pick up where they left off in 1978 or whatever, you know, the kind of way. Like they, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was kind of like really kind of starstruck being around Jimmy Keaveney, you know? Uh, like just following the dubs or whatever Jimmy kind of is this like figure that looms large so it was like it was just great to be in, in Jimmy's presence What was the sense you got from them about how they felt about Moran leaving in the middle of this dubs glory period to go to United were they happy for him? Uh, they were happy but I think Hanahoe puts it across best they were like oh well you know we're losing a really good player here and when you see in, in the footage the thing the thing about looking back through old archive and stuff is 
that you actually see like who is good and who isn't good. Mm-hmm. Like uh, looking back to old Ireland games, I was like, I think I said this to you before. I was like, yeah, Ray Houghton. Ray Houghton is yeah, amazing yeah. when you're watching an Ireland game back. Unreal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And especially, especially in those like late '80s qualifier years or whatever. Um, just unreal, and and he's the the real driving force of like those Irish sides. He's like popping up everywhere. Um, but this this is not about Ray Houghton. No, it's about Kevin Moore. But no, Moran definitely good. Brian Mullins definitely good. Keevney definitely good. Hickey like there's a load of Dublin players, and you're like, oh, it's not just uh, it's it's not just like kick and rush or whatever. You can see this mm. Dublin team, um, you know, did have something about them and did have an aura, and we're playing like really. Uh, amazing football yeah and the 77 semi-final uh, kind of goes down in history as you know the, you just described it there as the game of the millennium I think and yeah. you know it has this reputation I think to be fair in the last couple of years there have been a, you know the Dublin Kerry games of mm. 13 and 14 is it uh, or uh, yeah like Dublin Mayo had there were a couple of brilliant Ireland finals it, it's maybe not recognised as like the all time greatest game anymore but certainly it was the apogee of that era and I've watched it as well. And the first half is pretty poor. Like, the first half is not great. But, they, like, the second half is just, like, this uh, riot uh, with rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's goals flying in everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. gigantic hits. It's a lot of fun to watch. But Moran does look different mm. to a lot of the a lot of the players. Like, he's just... His sheer athleticism... Oh, there's, a, there's some footage that Brano has of him at Manchester United in the early days and he's just peeling on yeah. his jersey or peeling it off. Yeah. The shape he's in. Yeah, like, presumably yeah, yeah. without doing proper weights or anything like that back then. It's, just it's living. Impressive. Like, yeah, yeah, playing, playing a, a lot of sports. But uh, just on Moran in 77, he seems, to, he seems to actually have been a new type of player in that, like, he's a defender, but he's yeah. like... He goes on these massive runs, and I suppose the famous one is seventy six. Which before I started doing the doc, I thought he had scored. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah does. Yeah. yeah, he like one yeah, twos with Mullins and Brogan, and Brogan gives it back, and then he puts it wide. Um, but like it seemed that at the time that no other kind of defenders were doing. No, that. I mean at the other end there's Tim Kennelly, who's like a great centre centre back in his own right. But what he was was. The Rock, you know that you you that uh, attacks founder on on the forty five on your own forty five yard line. You stand there, thou shalt not pass. Mm. Uh, midfielder comes in rampaging, and you just level him basically. Like that was centre half back. You are taking your time. life in your hands playing the way Moran played. Oh, absolutely! Like you're soloing. If you're soloing, you're probably gonna have to put your head down for like a split second, mm. and that will be enough for someone to come across and elbow you in the <laughs> in the yeah. temple. And the vi- the violence in the games is like yeah. It's pretty un- unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And, but it, it, you have to tell yourself they're moving a lot slower and they're not half the size of the players that they are that as the players currently playing uh, at top level of the of Gaelic football. But yeah, Moran was just... He, he did look different. He, he just mm-hmm. had something that other players didn't have and that was just raw pace, athleticism. Swa- he was a swashbuckler, you know. Some yeah. of my favourite footage uh, in uh, from the soccer side of things comes from the FA Cup semi-final in 1983 against Arsenal. And off Moran's head, he got another awful crack there in the face. Kevin Moran is in a terrible way now. He's pouring with blood. Remember that one, the one you got carried off in the Arsenal? Arsenal. There's the stretcher past the United crowd. They just gave me a massive roar and lift. Kevin It wasn't about, I'm okay, but hey, we're through. You want to feel a connection between you as fans and your players. You want them to embody how you'd like to think you are on the pitch. When they come back to you like that, that's how how, how icons are made. 
A few viewers do write in and ask, why does Kevin Moran get cut so often? Is it because you're braver than other players? I wouldn't say braver than other players. I might go for balls which I don't mind. And so Manchester United, the club with the biggest following in the world, will be at Wembley in five weeks' time. United were always a great FA Cup side because basically that's all we was winning for a long while there. There was no league championships or what have you. Now, who was that speaking at the end? <laughs> uh, Manny. Uh, Gary, Gary Manny Moorfield. He does come back from like six weeks in some island off Croatia. He's wearing his flip-flops. He was very happy. Oh, yeah. Uh, so cool. how, how is Manny to work with? Ah, Manny's great to work with. Don't <laughs> he's, uh, he's a gentleman. He's he a was jet. a gentleman throughout. <laughs> oh, yeah, Big Man United fan? Uh, he, yeah, he's a massive yeah, man. You know, yeah. funny. Like he's, he's, he said that him and his brother used to go. He used to bring. He's like, oh, I used to bring my brother when I was four, and he was three. We'd hop on the bus. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> four, three, and four. <laughs> the, uh, that mo- that Kevin Moore moment where he's given the thumbs up and he's being stretchered off. Very reminiscent of Seamus Coleman. Mm. Just yes. this season, just a few weeks ago, I think a lot of people made that comparison. Yeah, when Coleman and- gave it that against Leicester and there's a bit he collapses into like the referee's arms just before that and it's kind of like Jesus coming down from the cross yeah, and Calvary yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of vision because <laughs> he's trying to keep his head back because his blood is pumping everywhere yeah. so he's like I think maybe he's like oh, I'll just if you could just lay me down basically and so I can bleed onto the grass that would be yeah. better but he does get like if the arms kind of yeah, go weak yeah, and yeah. he's like oh man it and was it, I suppose like now from what year is this 2023 20, uh, it is kind of you do kind of like irk a bit when you see all that head stuff yeah. Yeah, and everything yeah. but yeah you know Kevin has has turned out absolutely fine but like um, he, he was saying or Robson was saying uh, I don't know if this is on the camera or off camera but he was saying that basically when Kev went over he didn't and Kev kind of backed him up with this he didn't really know how to head the ball so for the first two seasons he's just like he's jumping with his arms and stuff as if he's going to catch it you know in Crow Park yeah. but he's c- trying to keep his arms down and then his head is just like milling into like boots and everywhere Jeez. and then People are kind of like, what is what is this guy doing? And, and he says that he he says about a lot of stuff in soccer that when he came over, he's kind of like learning. And it's like this guy's playing first team for United, at Man United, and they're kind yeah. of like, this is how you head it, you know, this is how, you know, this is how you control it, and all. You know, it's like learning Crazy. on the job. It's amazing. Crazy. Do, does he like that characterization of the brave warrior? I get the sense over the years that he's maybe not that mad on it because yeah, it, I, it, it probably minimizes the, the skill level and it yeah. makes people just think he's this, this lunatic who sticks his head everywhere rather than actually a, a, a good baller yeah no I don't think he's too into it he ne- well he hasn't leaned into it anyway you know like I'm psycho more and around like yeah, that you know yeah, in a kind of way yeah. um, and then he he, he he tries to minimize he, he's, he's like you know the first two seasons I was at United a lot of stitches but after that you know it was kind of cut out so well the facts aren't really sure <laughs> but uh, yeah he hasn't he hasn't fully leaned into being like you know Psycho Kev or whatever, because you know he could definitely he could definitely play ball too. You know the the footage of him playing lining out in the World Cup in 1990. He's a big part of the Charlton years, you yeah. know. And it just I think you do a great job of bringing it back around because you're I'm just thinking it's such a crazy story. Even to go over and be a success at any sort of level in England in professional football, but to do it at Manchester United and then to be part of this amazing journey. This, as I said, one of the great mm. movements in Irish sport in the Jack Charlton years, playing in a quarterfinal of a World Cup, it is totally unique. You hear that yeah. story, you hear that word bandied about quite a lot, but I'm pretty sure Moran's story yeah. is unique. And the footage of the Stadio Olimpico for the quarterfinal in particular, yeah. that it, that it all of that just looked am- and looks amazing in the documentary. Scalacci's goal is so bad, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, stop. Yeah, uh, don't get that. me started, Brano. But it, you should have kept that. You, know, you probably don't even remember it, Brano, but we remember it. Those three lads here, we remember. Thankfully, I don't. Um, <laughs> but he was—he talks about being in the dressing room afterwards, and 
just having a cold shower and just being like, oh, it's over. Like we would have played Argentina next. And it kind of it kind of goes against your popular image of Italia 90 of like, you know, hottie running around the Stadio Olimpico with a tricolor afterwards and everyone yeah. happy. It's like, oh no, this guy was actually a winner and he was yeah. from one of the world's biggest clubs and he wanted to beat Italy. And so it wasn't all, because my image of Italia was like, oh, sure, we'll give it a lash, have yeah, a few points yeah. and go. It's like, no, were, these are actually extreme winners in this yeah. team. Yeah, and would have fancied it against Argentina. I mean, mm-hmm. he played against, Mar- there's footage of Maradona playing yeah. that famous Cup Winners Cup match. The in, Robson game, basically. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 but more in, uh, uh, up against Maradona as well that time. He marked Nine- Ogie Morin and Maradona. <laughs> <laughs> 9.35 p.m., straight after the news, primetime slot. I mean, it, it feels like I've already seen the, the this doc. Well, I have seen the documentary, but I've, it seems like I've already watched it on TV, given the ceaseless promotion it's been getting over the course of the last couple of days. Well, I've that. still got a few friends in there. <laughs> not only that, Murph, but this man has taken over the Irish TV documentary space after Reds and the Heron last week. I, I, well, see, the history I was re- of communism in Ireland on TG Car. Yeah, I was actually training on Wednesday night, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. But it's still very much up on the TG Car player. It is player. on the TG Car player, yeah. And uh, I would hardly... It's such a great... It's such a brilliant story. Terrifyingly on brand for Brano, as I think how you described it last well, week. Well, I mean... <laughs> a younger Brano. <laughs> a younger Brano. Uh, centrist now. How much fun was that? The launch party sounded like a good crack. The launch party's great crack. There's a scene in the film where it's like... It's like black and white. It's in Liberty Hall. And it's meant to be like this left unity meeting. And it's like Bernadette Devlin, Des Garrity, people like that kind of at it. And it ends up with everyone like chucking chairs at each other. And that's that's kind of how the, the screening in the Sugar Club a couple weeks ago near the end. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. People, Just some old grudges being settled. Yeah, yeah. Why well, was uh, in the film? He was only in the party for two weeks. And then, <laughs> you sit down. <laughs> Through the chair, everyone, please. Through the chair. Ah, uh, brilliant. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Murph. Uh, can, I, can I just urge everyone out there to please, please watch Code Breaker at 9.35pm yeah, PM And also Reds and Heron on uh, Aaron. Uh, what is TG What's the player on TG Carr in Irish? The Tejil? Uh, listen, the TG Carr player, it's still there. Don't worry, Reds and Heron. Ken, thanks for <laughs> laughing along to some of the content on this particular thanks, episode. Owen. Thanks, Brano. Thanks, Brano. Thank you, Brano, Simon, Owen and Ken. Thanks for listening. Jamie and Matt on the Hurling tomorrow for Second Captain's World Service members. You'll also hear the episodes ad-free if you sign up now. The Second Captain's podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 